Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Today on the podcast, the Beatitudes and Holiness. Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, explores our call to holiness according to the Beatitudes. He explains that the Beatitudes are the only way to find peace and bring that peace to other souls. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel and deceitful. We put ourselves in the presence of our Lord, who is fully here in the Blessed Sacrament and fully present in heaven. Being the Son of God, he can mysteriously transcend space and time. And our brothers and sisters in the work and in the faith at this very moment are experiencing the promises of today's gospel, Beatitude, a total happiness. Seeing God face to face, seeing Jesus in his humanity face to face, his mother, the other saints. St. Paul warns us, don't try to imagine what it's like because it goes way beyond comprehension. And there's no standard of reference. It's that good. And our practical thought as we celebrate all our brothers and sisters in the faith and in the work, their achievement of sanctity. Saint Josemaria says that he would never doubt anyone's sanctity if they struggled to really live the plan of life, the game plan to make it to sanctity. And our practical sentiment is something that our father had very much on his mind and heart When I reflect on this, how well I understand St. Paul's exclamation when he writes to the Corinthians, Tempus Breve Est. How short indeed is the time of our passing through this world. For the true Christian, these words ring deep down in his heart as a reproach to his lack of generosity and as a constant invitation to be loyal. Brief indeed is our time for loving, for giving, for making atonement. It would be very wrong, therefore, for us to waste it or to cast this treasure in irresponsibly overboard. We mustn't squander this period of the world's history which God has entrusted to each one of us every day for that matter, but especially as we celebrate the solemnity of all saints, we need to 
spiritually regroup and ask ourselves in the presence of Jesus, is this goal that I can't do on my own of reaching holiness, of becoming a saint, is that ingrained in my mind and heart? Is it there? And do I specifically reflect on that, that the Lord wants me to be a saint? Not simply doing the right thing, but modeling my life after our Lord and using our immediate model, St. Josemaria. And we, what we want to learn from St. Josemaria, our father, that he had very clear in his mind that's what he wanted to do. I, I want to be a saint. And in the formation he gave, he was virtually always reminding those around him, his spiritual children in the work, you're called to be a saint. Are you determined to be a saint? When we, probably it struck all of us when we first got in touch with the work, that the bar was too high. God's calling you to be a saint. Probably virtually we never heard that before so explicitly. And I need to always reflect on that. And I have to, time is short because my only chance I have of aspiring to holiness is in the present moment. We want to struggle against that tendency to deceptively think that in the future things will get better or things fall into place. We don't want to, we want to learn from the past, but we don't want to get stuck in the past because we can't become saints in the past. We could learn from the past. And the future does not exist. My only chance I have is in the very present moment. And since the Lord does not negate this calling, we may feel in certain circumstances this struggle to be saints may apply less because the circumstances are such that we may think it doesn't lend, our, lend itself to holiness. But our Lord is calling us to holiness in all circumstances, every moment of the day, he's calling us to holiness. And Lord, I want to truly believe this, that every moment of the day, whether it seems easy, whether it seems overly difficult, you're always calling me to be a saint. What is your will in these circumstances? Let's contemplate the help menu. From the get-go, Jesus reveals throughout his Beatitudes 
He's giving instruction on how to be a saint. And not only in the Beatitudes, but throughout this very rich Sermon on the Mount. And he wraps it up by saying, you must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. He doesn't say you must be a perfectionist. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that I will not tolerate slips and falls. But he says, on the order of love, and he even refines that, on the order of mercy, on compassion, you must be like my heavenly Father. You must be compassionate and merciful as my heavenly Father is merciful, is compassionate. Another gospel says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection in this case doesn't mean the perfection of power, but it means the perfection of goodness, the perfection of charity. And he will repeat that again because it comes across as a commandment. You must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And he will use that phrase that he unveiled at the beginning of his public life. He will wrap up his public life with the same concept but different words. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. That is equivalent to, you must be perfect, as my heavenly Father is perfect. Within that sermon, we have those famous beatitudes that we always contemplate on this solemnity of all saints. St. John Paul, in his celebrated encyclical, Veritati Splendor says that the eight Beatitudes paint for us, paint for the reader, paint for the disciple of Christ, a portrait of his heart. So the eight Beatitudes are aspects, components of the heart of Jesus. And the word blessed ultimately means the life of Christ. Blessed is not, there's no translation, there's no accurate translation, I think, of the original word in Greek, because the original word signifies happiness, blissful happiness, over-the-top happiness. And so it's translated as blessed or Beatitude. And he gives, we'll use modern jargon, a help menu of acquiring this life of Christ, this Beatitude. And we don't have time to go, to, go through each one in detail, but I would say that there's three components to these Beatitudes. The first one is a negative one. Very good one, but it's, it's negative. It's about renunciation. The rest uh, are, okay, what must I positively do? 
to conform my heart to the heart of Jesus. So the second one is a, a pursuit, uh, an explicit effort. And the last ones are acceptance of the cross, self-renunciation, imitation of the heart of Christ, and acceptance of the cross. As we live these eight Beatitudes, our heart begins to measure up, never perfectly, but begins to measure up with that heart of our Lord. And what sets the tone is the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why is that the first beatitude? Why does that set the tone? Well, let's just briefly look at the different characters who followed Christ. In his public life, they're virtually all, all flawed characters. Some were perplexed, joyfully perplexed, that the Lord wanted them on his team. We could take our pick. Sunday we contemplated the conversion of Zacchaeus. We could contemplate the miraculous catch of fish where Peter proclaims that he wants to depart from our Lord because he's so sinful. And he'll prove correct later on. Zacchaeus was very sinful as well. When he called Matthew, Matthew was a publican, by nature of being a publican, you are very sinful, as was kind of shown at his conversion party, seeing the cast of char characters at his conversion party, the cast of sinful characters that scandalized the Pharisee. But our Lord said, well, you need to take this first step. Will you renounce everything on my behalf? You do that, we've won 80% of the battle. That's what you need to do. Are you willing to put me first? And you can't put me first if there's a partial good that is first. And in fact, we can't witness our Lord unless we put him first. Because what, what, is, what is apostolate? What is evangelization but that overflow of that life of Christ? And the overflow can only occur when I give him a total yes. That is always the precondition. So there's, it's a bit of a, it's a negative to be positive. To be a follower, you've got to renounce, renounce everything. In the Gospel of St. Luke, so therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has 
cannot be my disciple. Lord, we ask that question. But what do you mean by all this self-renunciation? We know the meaning of it. But as we mull over this in your presence, who are you? You are the incarnation of unadulterated, perfect, self-giving love. That's what you are. Your agape made flesh. And you experience me, you discover me, as you square your heart to my heart of self-giving love. And I could only know you, Lord, you know, when we say you have to encounter Christ in your work. Okay, well, what does that exactly mean? What does that involve? We don't need to be a theologian to figure it out. Well, work is the medium of self-giving love. And why do I encounter him when I put the finishing touch on my work? Or when I get into the details, I encounter him. I mean, does he appear to me? Do I hear his whispers in the ears of my soul? No, I have exercised self-giving love out of love for him, out of love for others. And I've encountered him. I encountered him. I encounter him in shadows. I encounter him through my heart. And that's how I know him. When someone says, well, I know this person so well because that person's a close friend, we realize that that knowledge is not academic knowledge, that this person is claiming I know all sorts of facts about that person, though that may be true, but that doesn't mean, that's not the meaning of knowing somebody. Of course I know my son. Of course I know my daughter. Well, because there's such an intense bond of love, that's why there's knowledge. It's the knowledge of the heart. And that's why included in the beatitude is, is being able to see God. But it always begins with this self-emptying because the Lord has to dwell in the soul, to dwell in the heart, but he can't dwell in there if we have, in the words of Thomas Aquinas, competing ultimate ends. Or everyone has a passion for something, to put it in more modern lingo. Where is my passion? We can have all sorts of passions that are good things. But we have to have an ultimate passion. And Lord, I, you have to enlighten me because there's areas of life, of my life, that you may not be my ultimate passion, the ultimate good, the ultimate aim. And we reflect on, he's an exception in the gospel, and we appreciate that as well the rich young man who had his moral act together, 
and in part his spiritual act together. And he was quite moved by hearing Jesus and seeing Jesus and realized that he could bestow on him everlasting life and wanted a help menu from Jesus. What must I do? And Jesus tells him that uh, to have the fullness of life in this world, which is not perfect, it's only in the next, you have to see that only God is your ultimate good. As he says right there, only God is good, he tells him, in the sense that only God could fill you. And he says, only God is good. He has to be your ultimate passion, your ultimate end, your ultimate good. He can't compete with other goods. And he goes through the commandments and says you need a certain freedom, so you need to be liberated from anger, from lust, from greed, from resentments. If you have that under control, now you can actually renounce yourself. You need to renounce yourself on my behalf. Are you willing to unload everything you have on my behalf? Because only in that way can we witness beatitude to others. That's what our apostle is. It's the witness that he is beatitude. And he had too many ultimate ends his riches, perhaps his personal plans, his, I'm not going to say the word freedom, because following Christ is the ultimate freedom, that's revealed, but his independence, his will, didn't want to give that up, and the Holy Spirit, perhaps with a little bit of a divine sense of humor, records for us, he went away sad because he had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of ultimate ends. He had competing goods. He just didn't buy the truth Jesus transmitted to him that I'm your ultimate good. And I asked the Lord because it's very personal and it could, and it could be fluid as well. <coughs> Where is my heart? Oh, I'm afraid it's in my favorite baseball team. That's okay. Uh, even if it is our ultimate passion, it won't, well, after Wednesday, uh, we'll have to move on. We'll win, and uh, we'll have to uh, get excited about something else. But, but it could be anything. Now, that doesn't mean that we are Stoics, that we don't look forward to a certain event, that we don't enjoy a celebration, uh, we don't look forward to you know, some time of relaxation, or a movie is on the horizon and we look forward to that, or you know, a meal with a friend, it could be anything. In fact, we should look forward to those things and enjoy those things. And, and when things don't go our way to experience some disappointment and momentary sadness, it's all part of being a human being. 
But my heart can't be in any, ultimately can't be in anything else but Christ. And that's what I've got to look at. And if there's ongoing disappointment or ongoing disillusionment, I need to ask myself that question. What is, where is, where is my heart? And, I, and it could be a very lofty ultimate end. Well, I hope, you know, my apostolic efforts all fall into place. I hope I get high numbers to the circle or the retreat or the rec- evening of recollection. And, uh, and my, I'm putting my heart into this. And I just remember Don Alvaro, now blessed Alvaro, saying, well, let's, we want to reach as many people as we can, and we want to get as many people as we can in the means of formation. And we should be very grateful to God that they come. And if they don't come, we should be grateful to God as well, because we had a an occasion to do something out of sheer love for God. And if these legitimate disappointments, I'm just uh, looking for examples, are dashed and we stay unhappy, stay disillusioned, we'll have to see, well, where's my heart? Is it in very lofty success or is it in him? Is it being with the right people, or is it his will? I have to always ask myself that question. So that poverty in spirit is sort of the tone of all the Beatitudes. Because to, to pursue the rest of them, I need that self-renunciation. I can't bear the crosses God sends me, or God permits, however you want to see it, unless in my mind, in my heart, I have renounced myself. And hence, we ask St. Josemaria to uh, intercede for us so that we really take this to heart. We, we are. Today, once again, I set myself this goal. I also remind you and all mankind, this is God's will for us that we be saints in order to bring peace, genuine peace to souls. And as we contemplate our culture, these words of St. Josemaria take on a very special meaning and an urgent meaning. In order to bring peace and genuine peace to souls, in order to transform the earth and to seek God our Lord in the world and through the things of the world, personal sanctity is indispensable and nothing less. And he refines the word sanctity because we hear it so much. He says, don't forget, it's canonizable sanctity, just in case the word becomes a cliche. And as we start wrapping our meditation up, we see here the different aspects of our Lord's heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What what is this mourning? I thought we have to be happy. Well, we suffer. We experience that holy anxiety. 
because people don't know Christ. That's the real tragedy when they don't have the freedom and the healing and the solace of our Lord. And so the follower of Christ, the heart of Christ is that compassion for the crowd who are like sheep without a shepherd. And part of this witness is this meekness, this gentleness with people, with our temperament, doesn't mean we're all the same. Candid, gentle people, more delicate, gentle people, but gentle, merciful, which defines the perfection of the heart of Christ. Thomas says that within the virtue, the greatest virtue, which is charity, the most perfect aspect of it is this mercy included in the beatitude. There's one person who typified the Beatitudes as well. And she's a woman. She's the mother of the author of the Beatitudes. We go to the Blessed Mother, Queen of all saints. Pray for us so that we, so that your, the Holy Spirit awaken those sentiments of sanctity and so that we're enlightened to make effective resolutions. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.